You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to our listeners. I'm keeping very well. Thank you so much. Excellent. Any changes going on at Radio Maria that we need to know of? Well, Kathy, at the time of this recording, the move that Radio Maria is going through is put on hold at the moment just because of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And and um, do we have a place or is that a surprise? Uh, we're still considering a couple of options. So nothing concrete that I can share at this point with, with our listeners. Closer to me or farther from me? Let's do that one. I believe it is going to be closer to you, uh, regardless of which location we choose. But um, it's quite possible and probable that uh, by the time this program airs, we will have some information out to our listeners in the coming weeks or so from the time that they're listening to this. So um, something something that we're all uh, looking forward to in terms of informing our listeners and uh, moving forward. Good. Well, I actually, I cannot wait to get back into the studio. Believe me. This show will be much more interactive and I'm just looking very much forward to being in person. Yeah. I mean, I love the ability to record and, you know, to um, stop recording on my mistakes and that's wonderful. But uh, I, I do like being in the studio. In fact, I like life as it used to be. I've really come to that conclusion. I like the way it used to be. So I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to being back into the studio as well as many, many other things as I know I'm not alone in that. Um, so anyways, um, we'll find out soon enough where, uh, where we'll land. I'm sure it's going to be a lovely spot for us. Yes. Anyways, as you can tell, today's show is taped, so no calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. And if you would like to email us, we are at thh at radiomaria.ca, and you can subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub, no spaces in between those words, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca. And on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. This next guest is somebody that has educated me from the moment he started talking. I love guests like this. I actually just sat back and took notes. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating topic that we'll be discussing. Um, mass activated. Let me think with that. It's M-A-S-C. Um, and it's, it's just a fascinating, fascinating topic. One that I came across certainly by accident, mast cell activation syndrome. Um, and I just, he's, he's just a wealth of information. Um, and it's, uh, it's just a, a talk that I think you'll get a lot out of, a big eye-opener because it's not something that many of us have heard about. Our guest is Dr. Lawrence Afrin. And after training at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Afrin practiced in research hematology and oncology at MUSC from 1995 to 2014, while also working in educational administration and medical informatics. And since the mid-2000s, his clinical research has come to focus in mast cell disease. Uh, 
Since 2014 to 2017, furthering this work at the University of Minnesota, he has been developing an independent institute located in the greater New York area, New York City area, for advancing care, research, and education into mass cell disease. His publication record includes some of the most highly assessed articles uh, about mast cell activation syndrome and a popular book uh, in the field. Again, really interesting topic. Some of the things that we'll be discussing are what, in fact, is the function of the mast cells, what is mast cell activation syndrome, and what findings associate mast cell activation syndrome and COVID-19 severity. So everybody, please do stay tuned with us, and we'll be back to talk to Dr. Afrin in just a few minutes. to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, this show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Dr. Afrin, thank you for coming to our show. I really appreciate the the time you're taking to be here with us. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I think most of you know that I usually talk to our guests before I have them on just so that they get a a sense of where our show is leading. And um, when I spoke with Dr. Afrin, I really wished I had had the record button on them because it was a fascinating conversation and um, a subject that I've been looking into all week, uh, just because it's of such interest. Dr. Afrin, I think before we get into your research and where it's led you, um, we might want to explain to everybody exactly what a mast cell is. Sure. Um, the mast cells in the body are one of the um, uh, many types of white blood cells. You may have heard of some of the others like neutrophils and lymphocytes and so on. Well, the mast cells are just another type of um, white blood cell. Um But in contrast to many of the other white blood cells, which spend much of their lifespans uh, actually circulating in the blood, uh, that's not really where mast cells spend most of their existence. Now, they are derived, like all the other blood cells, from the stem cells in the bone marrow, Uh, but they uh, shortly leave the bone marrow. Uh, They circulate only briefly um, and ultimately exit the circulation 
uh, into uh, various peripheral tissues. They actually are present in every vascularized tissue in the body, uh, but very sparsely uh, distributed in most tissues. Where they're dominantly found are at the environmental interfaces, the skin, the respiratory tract, the gastrointestinal or GI tract, and the genitourinary or GU tract. And their principal function is to uh, act as a sentinel, uh, uh, looking out for assaults uh, and insults upon the body. Um, the mast cells actually uh, recognize and respond to um, uh, assaults on the body uh, faster than any other uh, type of uh, immune system cell in the body. The, the neutrophils um, take uh, minutes to activate. The lymphocytes take hours to activate uh, when, when a threat presents. But the mast cells actually can respond in sub-second time. And the manner of that response to one type of threat or another is to uh, produce and release uh, a, a wide variety of very potent uh, chemical signals uh, that we generically call mediators, the mast cells mediators. Um, which get released from the mast cell, they diffuse out into the local tissues. Uh, and when these mediators come to dock uh, or bind with uh, corresponding specific receptors for each of these different types of mediators, um, with these receptors being present on the surfaces of other uh, cells and, and tissues, uh, then those other cells immediately begin adjusting their functioning so as to best help the body overall resist and recover from uh, whatever the insult was. It's an extraordinarily complex system which has evolved to that state of complexity over literally more than a half billion years. Uh, the paleogeneticists have actually worked that out. Um, and it is uh, exquisitely well-tuned to keep us, um, uh, you know, alive and well uh, in uh, an environment that, can be extraordinarily hostile. So uh, sorry for the, the long explanation there, but as you're going to find out shortly, if you haven't already, there's, there's nothing about these cells that are simple. This is complex business and uh, trying to oversimplify it uh, probably is not going to serve anybody's interests well. Well, I, I think probably um, if anyone has heard of mast cells or is familiar with mast cells, it would be on the level of an allergic reaction, um, which is, you know, in, I guess, simple terms, causing an inflammatory response to protect the body. Um, and, and I'm just saying that so that people can get on the level of, of, of commonality with this. Now, you are... Um, your specialty was in oncology, and then now you have sort of, now you're still working in oncology, but you've taken on mast cells and the disease now that um, you have found to be associated with, with mast cells as a priority, can I say, in your research? Yeah, this, this has uh, become a, a focus in my clinical work and my research and educational uh, interests. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Okay, so now let's get down to, to what your research is about. And the syndrome is called mast cell activation syndrome. Um, I had never heard of it. Um, I challenge that most people out there probably have never heard of it. Is this something that is, that is prevalently or well-known in the medical space, or are you um, a pioneer in this area? 
Well, I don't know that I have any business calling myself a pioneer. <laughs> I mean, to be clear, there were other far smarter doctors who first came to figure out the existence of this entity and, and to publish their findings first. But, um, but to, to refocus on some more important things you brought up, uh, yes, it is quite a prevalent disease. You know, the only mast cell disorders that we knew about for the prior century since the discovery of the mast cell uh, were uh, the very common problems with allergies, as you mentioned. And there's also one other mast cell disorder, the very rare uh, cancer of the mast cell called mastocytosis. Uh, but now in the, the last oh, 15 years or so, we've been starting to appreciate that there is this other mast cell disorder. And, and some might feel it's, it's fair to consider allergy uh, to just be a subset of this. Uh, this other mast cell disorder, uh, at, at least as prevalent as allergy, which is very prevalent, uh, that we are now calling a mast cell activation syndrome. So it's, it's not really the, the, a cancer of the mast cell, but it is inappropriate activation of the mast cell. By activation, I mean the, the production and release of the various mediators that the mast cell um, uh, manufactures. You know, as long as the mast cell is producing the and, and releasing the right mediators in the right amounts at the right times and the right durations and at the right places in the body, then that that's good. That's normal. That's healthy. That helps protect us from assaults uh, from the environment, like infections and toxins and so forth. But it's when the mast cells start misbehaving and they start releasing uh, the wrong mediators, wrong amounts, wrong times, wrong durations, wrong places in the body. Well, the cells and tissues on the receiving ends of those mediators they don't know that they're getting the wrong signals. They're just biologically programmed to react in certain ways when certain mediators come to dock with them. And it's just, you know, the particular symptoms that any given mast cell patient is going to have is just going to depend on which mediators are being inappropriately released by the dysfunctional mast cells in which amounts, which times, which durations, which places in the body. So it's turning out to be a very prevalent disease, but you also ask whether doctors are familiar with it, and that's the disconnect. Because uh, due in large part to just how complex this disorder is, it turns out, uh, somewhat ironically, that we didn't even recognize this disease existed up until, well, the first case reports were published in about 07. Um, and it, in, in truth, every doctor, this is not a new disease. Uh, this is a newly recognized disease. And in truth, every doctor has been seeing this left and right all day long, every day, his or her whole career. It's just that for very understandable reasons, they haven't previously been able to recognize it. Uh, for what it is. And so, as you can imagine, there's going to be an enormous educational challenge in the decades to come, not only reforming our formal uh, medical education uh, systems and programs to teach the trainees about this, but also to bring the, the, the presently practicing 10 to 15 million doctors in the world up to speed on something which in truth they are seeing every day. What have you been able to remedy in your patients by understanding that their symptomology is correlated 
to um, MCAS. And what I'm meaning by that is there, there are many uh, people who are undiagnosed or incorrectly diagnosed or attributed, um, giving attribution of their symptomology to, to a mental space, let's say. What have you been able to dig down in and, and, and help these people who are not getting any help? Can you give us some of the diseases or symptomologies that you've been able to deal with and really help? Well, sure. And, and you know, it, it relates back to what the broad themes of the effects of the mast cells mediators um, relate to. I mean, the, there are three broad themes uh, with the symptoms of this disease. First of all, the universal constant across all MCAS patients is chronic multi-system inflammation. Now, obviously, the particular symptoms that uh, one develops from inflammation will vary uh, from uh, depending on which organ or system or tissue in the body is inflamed. Uh, but symptoms such as pain and swelling, for example, are classic inflammatory symptoms that often can be helped by identifying that there's a mast cell disorder present and, and effectively treating it. Um, beyond the inflammatory issues, many mast cell patients, all, uh, not, not all of them, but, but many of them also have a variety of allergic type issues. And there even are uh, a good number of mast cell patients who have been uh, developing for a long time uh, various abnormalities, often subtle, usually fortunately benign, but nevertheless abnormalities in tissue growth and development, for example, cysts like ovarian cysts or kidney cysts or breast cysts. Um, and uh, th this happens because some of the mast cell mediators are integrally involved in guiding growth and development in various tissues in the body. So we're able to, by, by, diagnose, by recognizing the disease's presence in the patient and then setting about to formally diagnose it, uh, with appropriate testing and then uh, finding the particular treatments which will best help the individual patient, we're able to uh, often help improve these inflammatory and allergic and sometimes even the, um, the, the tissue growth uh, issues in these patients. It almost sounds like uh, the root of chronic inflammation is a mast cell disorder from... Uh, well, from let, let's be careful about not going too far. We have to remember that the mast cell is only one of uh, many different types of white blood cells, and all of them have inflammatory capacity. And there are a great many inflammatory diseases that have little to nothing to do with the mast cell. Uh, and I'm certainly not saying that every patient out there with mysterious chronic multi-system inflammation necessarily has this newly recognized MCAS at the root of his or her illness. But nevertheless, it is turning out that many of them do. And once the disease can be properly recognized um, and diagnosed and treated. It's been my experience that most of these patients uh, actually do gain significant improvement no matter how long, sometimes years, sometimes decades, sometimes even their entire lives that they have been uh, persistently unwell. And, you know, with regard to what treatment can bring these people, let's keep in mind, it's not only a matter of improving uh, physical ailments and, and symptoms, but keep in mind that if you've been chronically ill for years to decades and no clear 
underlying unifying diagnosis has emerged yet. Many times such patients, um, their doctors, their families or acquaintances, sometimes even the patients themselves begin doubting whether they truly have some physical disorder or ailment. Many times uh, these patients uh, come to be thought of as being psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's all in your head. And by demonstrating to them, you know, showing them the laboratory evidence that the disease really is present in their body and then finding helpful treatment, this helps them in a different way from physical improvement. This provides the greatly needed mental improvement of hope. Many times these patients, very understandably, have long ago lost any hope for improvement. And by restoring that um, to them, uh, that alone can make for a much better quality of life. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, When we come back, we are going to get into a very interesting topic and a paper that Dr. Afrin has um, had published. And we're going to talk about mast cell activation syndrome and some connection to COVID-19. So everybody, we will be back in a minute. Listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. 
Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Lawrence Afrin. Now, Dr. Afrin, I read a paper that was published in the International Journal of Infectious Disease. It's a hypothesis paper. Um, You have found some interesting, shall I say, correlation. Uh, Maybe that's the incorrect word but between uh, mast cell activation syndrome and um, COVID-19 response in some patients citing uh, ACE2 enzymes and other factors that um, may encourage a hyperreaction to COVID, where in others it's not present. Can you talk about that with us? Sure. Um, You know, as the COVID-19 pandemic has been uh, coursing along, um, you know, I've been watching this uh, much the same as, you know, every other health professional has been intensively watching this. And from early on in the pandemic, as the patterns of clinical behavior of the disease um, started uh, becoming apparent fairly quickly. It's the the, the hyperinflammation uh, seen with severe uh, cases of acute COVID illness uh, became apparent very early. Uh, but there were specific aspects to. Uh, the patterns of that inflammation that struck me uh, based solely on my good fortune, so to speak, to have become familiar with the behavior of mast cell disease. There were specific aspects to that hyperinflammation that struck me as more likely being principally rooted in mast cell activation compared to activation of other types of inflammatory cells. And to be clear, the, uh, the, the inflammation that's going on in COVID-19 illness absolutely is involving every type of inflammatory cell that, that there is. But again, there, there, there were specific aspects of the inflammation that struck me as being more characteristic of activation of the mast cells and other types of cells. And as the pandemic went on, I uh, came to um, increasingly suspect, uh, based on the patterns I was uh, seeing, that um, uh, the perhaps, and again, you know, what I published was a hypothesis paper. The, rigorous research needed to prove what I'm about to say still needs to be done. Uh, But it started looking to me like uh, what was distinguishing the patients who were unfortunately coming to suffer the severe courses of acute COVID illness, uh, about 15 to 20% of the uh, COVID-infected population has come to suffer a severe course of the disease compared to uh, mild to moderate uh, illness in the remaining 80-85%. And you have to ask yourself, why is there this difference? And from what I could see, it looked like, it, it looked likely that uh, what COVID, what the COVID virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, might be doing is to be driving the dysfunctional mast cells in a mast cell patient's body to uh, react wildly inappropriately. Uh, to that viral infection, and that that grossly excessive mast cell activation in response to the virus uh, was then cascading to cause all the other manifestations of hyperinflammation that was ultimately taking these severely affected patients down. Uh, it, it really wasn't so much the normal mast cells in the patient's body, 
Um, but it was the dysfunctional mast cells in a mast cell patient's body. And to be clear, because mast cell activation syndrome is a newly recognized disease, the vast majority of people who truly have the illness uh, don't yet know that they have the illness. Uh, so they have not been diagnosed, they've not been treated, and their dysfunctional mast cells are uncontrolled at the onset of the infection. And that's what allows them to react terribly inappropriately, uh, terribly excessively um, uh, to, the, uh, to the virus. But what I started seeing, uh, you know, as you can well imagine, some portion of my fairly large mast cell patient population, unfortunately, came to uh, suffer this highly contagious uh, infection, too. And what I began seeing was that um, all of my mast cell patients whose mast cell disease had been recognized, had been diagnosed, had been treated, and brought under at least halfway decent control by the time the infection came along, none of them came to suffer the severe course of the infection. They all behaved um, uh, as did the, the other patients with mild to moderate courses of the infection. So uh, given how prevalent um, MCAS is thought to be, um, it struck me that one particular strategy that might be useful for mitigating the severity of COVID illness, which is in truth what's really come to overwhelm our healthcare systems and our economic systems. Uh, it's just the sheer fact that there are so many people who are unfortunately suffering the severe form of the disease that if we could just better identify the MCAS and treat to at least some degree, the MCAS in these people, either before they get infected or perhaps right at the beginning of the symptomatic course of the infection, that might uh, result in uh, less severity of the infection and better outcomes, not only with respect to the acute infection, but also with respect to the so-called long haul syndrome. And so I began seeing this pattern. Actually, I have uh, a number of colleagues around the world who also have come to see a great many mast cell patients, and they were seeing exactly the same pattern. And uh, I kind of was expecting that all the researchers, that some of the researchers focusing in COVID would see the connection and uh, start researching it. But as time went on and I didn't see any such uh, publications emerging, I decided to go on and publish it, at least a hypothesis paper to get that concept out there. So I gathered some of my co-authors, um, some of my colleagues who are, uh, who've been having the same experiences uh, that I've been having in my clinical practice, and we uh, wrote and published that paper. Yeah, interesting. We, we've dealt with the inflammatory aspect, which is, you know, the, the area that you're focusing on for sure. But an interesting piece that I found in the, the hypothesis paper was that um, the expression of uh, angiotensin in converting um, enzyme to the ACE2 enzyme and that acting as uh, a possible route for the virus to take hold. Now that's a different pathway than the inflammatory, um, the inflammatory piece that we've been talking about, correct? Or is that all part of the same process? Oh, I think it's all connected. I mean, the ACE2 spike on the surfaces of many different types of cells, including on the mast cells, is thought to be the principal um, binding point uh, for the virus to uh, to dock with uh, the cell 
and uh, then invade the cell. Um, but once that initial invasion has occurred, what happens beyond that point is highly dependent on how well regulated the body's inflammatory systems that are there ready and waiting to respond to any infection. But, but these, these inflammatory systems obviously need to be tightly regulated to best balance um, their, their many potent effects and make sure the things don't get out of control with the very strong forces they're able to bring to bear on various parts of the body. And as long as the inflammatory response to the virus is a normal inflammatory response that's being put out by normal mast cells, normal lymphocytes, normal uh, monocytes and macrophages and neutrophils and so on, then you wind up having a normal response to the virus. You have one of these so-called mild to moderate courses of the infection. But if these inflammatory response systems are not appropriately regulated and you start having this wildly inappropriately excessive uh, inflammatory response um, to the viral infection. Uh, that's what then leads to everything getting out of control and producing a so-called severe course of the infection. And again, my suspicion is that uh, dysfunctional mast cells that are present if usually unrecognized in an awful lot of uh, people out there, it's these dysfunctional mast cells that are kind of sparking um, this whole hyper-inflammatory uh, response that is characterizing what's going on in the uh, severely uh, affected patients. Um, uh, we could talk about this forever. I just, I truly find it a fascinating subject. Uh, treatment is not as simple as a pill. I'm assuming that with, um, within uh, mast cell activation syndrome, it's a, it's a multitude of different types of diseases and symptomology. So I'm going to assume here for sake of time that treatment isn't just one medication. Um, and you can just yes or no that because I don't want to, I think the big question that our listeners are going to have is who should be searching out for treatment or who should be suspecting that they might have an issue with, uh, with their mast cells, uh, who should be, who should be looking and where can they look for help? Good questions. Um, you're right. It's a pretty rare mast cell patient. We should probably call them the lottery winners who managed to find just a single medication is all they need to adequately control. Uh, to be clear, you can't cure this. You're trying to control it with your treatment. Pretty rare patient who finds just a single medication adequately controls the broad range of symptoms that most mast cell patients uh, endure. Um, but, you know, because the disease uh, can produce uh, so many different types of symptoms in different systems in the body. I, I, I again, I'm not trying to say that MCAS is the diagnosis in every mysteriously unwell patient, but what we have been learning in the last dozen years or so is that it now becomes reasonable to at least suspect that mast cell activation syndrome might be the explanation, the, the, the root issue in any patient who is suffering chronic multi-system inflammation, plus minus 
allergic issues, plus minus tissue growth abnormality uh, issues. So uh, I know that uh, that, that's a very broad and nebulous description. It obviously includes huge numbers of patients, but that is what we are seeing, that this indeed is an extraordinarily prevalent disease. So patients who have uh, accumulated over the years a large number of diagnoses with many of them being inflammatory in nature. Uh, patients with an unusually uh, an unusual assortment of allergies or an unusual um, uh, unusually large assortment of allergies. Uh, patients with a variety of uh, say cystic and and uh, fibrotic or scarring uh, tissue growth abnormalities that just have remained forever mysterious to their uh, to the likely many doctors that they've consulted regarding these problems. It now becomes reasonable to consider. Uh, whether mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS, might be the root issue. Now, that having been said, your last question there about who do they go to see uh, to get evaluated for this, that is probably the biggest challenge at present. Uh, because, again, this, this disease has just come to be recognized to exist in just the last dozen years or so. Uh, so it kind of goes without saying that there are no doctors on the planet yet who have been formally trained in this. Um, uh, every doctor who, every one of the very few doctors who presently knows something about this has basically come to pick up what they know about it on their own. Um, so this is not yet mentioned in any medical school training programs. Uh, the students, the residents, the fellows who are coming out of training today, um, you know, don't know anything about this and they are going into practice for the next 30, 40 years, uh, uh, not, not knowing about this and they're going to have to learn about it on their own as well. I expect it's going to take quite some time, many years, maybe even more than a decade before this comes to be routinely incorporated into the training programs of the various healthcare professions. So until we get to the point where every doctor just kind of naturally knows about this, just the way today every doctor knows about, say, diabetes and hypertension, um, I think there are going to be two, uh, uh, any individual patient is going to have to take one of two possible paths toward getting uh, evaluated for this, let alone actually diagnosed and treated. Path number one is that if you happen to live uh, relatively nearby, um, some physician who has come to acquire um, you know, knowledge and, and familiarity and expertise with this, then uh, of course, that's the doctor you want to go see. And because this disease interacts with literally every system in the body, there's no one particular type of specialist that is necessarily the type of specialist to see for this. Some people might assume that it's allergists and immunologists that would be the ideal doctors to see for this. But I know plenty of primary care physicians, family physicians, internists. I know gastroenterologists um, and cardiologists and um, uh, just a wide variety of, of specialists who have come to develop familiarity with this. The, the trick, of course, is identifying whether um, you have any such MCAS familiar doctor in your local area. The other path to 
being evaluated. And this is the path that I suspect most patients uh, will need to be taking for quite some time to come is that you won't have a readily locally available um, doctor who has familiarity with this. So you're going to come to be dependent on a local doctor who at least is willing to learn about this and willing to at least try to help the patient uh, deal with this, both diagnostically and therapeutically. And those doctors who are willing to provide that assistance, they can pretty easily get in touch with any of the other doctors uh, who do have familiarity with this uh, to, to learn from those doctors um, you know, how do you go about diagnosing this and, and how do you go about treating it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the purpose of this show, isn't it? To arm people with the information. And if people want to learn more about this, Dr. Afrin has a book called Never Bet, Never Bet Against Oakum. And I had to Google what Oakum was. And uh, Mast Cell Activation Disease and the Modern Epidemics of Chronic Illness and Medical Complexity. So if you are interested in finding out more about this disease, um, the reviews are great. It is easy for uh, the lay people like us to read. You won't be boggled down in terminology. Um, you can find that anywhere, right, Dr. Afrin? You can just Google that, and I think it's on every site that I looked at. So you can certainly order that and uh, find out more about it. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a really fascinating show for me. Um, I, I love it when I can just sit back and be completely educated. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Afrin. My pleasure. Again, thanks for the opportunity. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.